0: This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, happy Easter! How are we doing? Oh, okay, I thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, let's try this again. How are we? Decent. Okay, good. We uh, we are alive. We. Man, the other day we were, uh, we were at the Angel House and having lunch and just asking people, like, how's it going? And the number of times, just like, that. man, blessed to be here, blessed to be alive. I was like, that's right, like, we're alive. That's good news. You know, there, there's always hope in, in what could come. So, um, anyway, so good to have you. Is it echoey or is it just me? It is? Xander says it is. Okay, cool. So it's not just me. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure I'm not going insane. Um, so that's good to know. If I haven't met you, my name's Corey, one of the pastors here. Uh, we we moved here. Our family moved here. Summer of what year are we in? 2019, 2017. So coming up on two years uh, to start this church. Uh, God put it in our hearts. Uh, my wife and I, um, really about gosh, what year? 12 years ago. Um, that at some point we'd start a church, and then it was just a matter of timing. Um, eventually, felt like God told us, "Hey, now's the time to to go and start a church." And so um, felt like God was telling us to to move to Austin. We looked at several places and just believe this is where God wanted us. And so moved here a couple summers ago, uh, started some community groups in homes in the community. And then last September started services here at Keeling Middle School. So we are fairly young as a church. It's um, a church plants is what it's called and uh, our hope is that God will allow us to be here for the long run and that he will let us be a part of seeing many other churches in many cities and around the world start as well. Um, we believe that, that the, the church is how God communicates his message of hope uh, and so we, we dream of that day of seeing him expand uh, his message through the church really to all people in all places. So um, but, but for us in our story we're still pretty young in it and so glad that you're a part uh, to be here with us on this first Easter. If, if you've never filled out a connect card, uh, we, I, I'd love for you to do that. So there's some at the table out there and in the lobby. You can do it after the service. Uh, but this is just a way for us to follow up, uh, answer any questions you may have, help, help you connect further. It's also a way for us to learn. Um, it, it's, it's, if this is your first time, or you're relatively new, you bring a perspective that it's just easy to forget what it's like to kind of walk in somewhere for the first time. And so we'd love to continue to learn. How can we uh, be more welcoming? How can we see things that maybe we missed? And so this is a way for, for us to help you connect, but also to connect with you and to learn from you. And so we'd love for you to fill this out. We've got t-shirts out yonder. Um, if you want a t-shirt, uh, we'd love to give you a free t-shirt. If you already have one, uh, don't try to steal some more. Uh, Jenna will catch you and um, y- you can pay $5 and buy one for, free, for cheap. So, uh, but if, if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. There's stickers as well. Uh, koozies. Anyone else like koozies? Thank you so much. Thank you. I get I get a lot of grief because people are like, "Why koozies?" Because they're amazing, right? They keep your drink cold and it doesn't sweat on your hand. That's why koozies. So, if you want a koozie, there's also koozies. I love them. Um, anyways, that's that's enough of that. Uh, let's let's get going in the Word of God before I just totally take off somewhere and don't know where we go. Um, so we're gonna be in First Peter today. First Peter. We're we're changing up from Ephesians. Uh, if you've been coming here with us, we've been going through the Book of Ephesians, but today. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, near the end of the Bible, uh, one of the last few, few letters written. Um, before we get there, uh, just as you're turning to that, if you have a Bible then, uh, and you're turning to that, if you're turning on your, your electronic version um, as you're scrolling there, w- one of the thoughts that the Lord gave me this week, uh, just as I was kind of praying, honestly, it was in a time when I was w- not wanting to seek the Lord. Um, I was just kind of frustrated, and I was like, I don't want to look at God because I know what he's going to tell me, and I don't want to listen to him right now. Uh, and so uh, I was just trying to avoid it, and then finally I sat down, and, and he brought my mind to the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, and, and Hebrews 4 says that the Bible is living and active, uh, that it is not just some old document that, that we read, but it's, it's God's living words. And since God is alive, his words are alive, and they're meant to change us and to speak to us, One of the stories I think that speaks so clearly to our day and age, our culture, uh, especially here in the United States, is found in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus comes into town and, and Martha welcomes Jesus into her home to have dinner. Like, can you imagine just that concept, right? That Jesus, the, the, the living God, is in your town and you welcome him into your home like you're prepping dinner. You're demonstrating hospitality to Jesus. And so Mary is all about just hustling around, um, serving Jesus. And her sister, um, did I say Mary? Martha is all about running around, preparing dinner, welcoming Jesus in. And her sister Mary is just sitting there basically at the table with Jesus talking to him just kind of sitting at his feet, listening to everything he's saying, and and the dishes are piling up, and the the food's getting cold because Mary is just lounging around, and Martha's running around, and and Martha comes up to Jesus, and I I wonder, I think because her sister, she probably said it loud enough where her sister could hear, because that's what you do, and she's like, Jesus, can you believe Mary? Like, she's not helping at all. Doesn't that bother you? And Jesus looks to Martha, and he says, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things but Mary chose the most important thing. And I just think that phrase, you're troubled and anxious about many things, may not describe our culture any better than anything else. I just think as a culture, we are anxious and nervous and troubled about so many things because our eyes are just fixed on so many different things, on, on serving here or doing this or, or making sure we have the right, the right clothes or the right food. or like We're just fixed on all these things around us and Jesus is like, if that is what your focus is on, you're going to be troubled and anxious because all of those things are going to let you down at some point. But Mary is fixed on me and therefore she has chosen the right thing because I will never let you down. And so I'm, 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 re, I'm, like I told you, I was frustrated. I didn't want to listen to God. And that's where he takes me. He's like, Corey, quit looking all around you. You're going to be troubled and anxious if that's your focus. But if we can just sit at the feet of Jesus, that's choosing the right thing. It's choosing the best thing. And, and I, I think with Easter, a lot of times, like we just, we just kind of fly past it right? Like we've known Easter, f- I'm going to guess all of us in here forever, because we know what Easter is, right? Every, every candy company does an amazing job of letting us know that Easter's coming up. And so we know about Easter, but I think we just, we don't stop and sit and look at the focus of Easter, which is Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, and rose from the dead. And if we're focused on candy, or dresses, or, or, or hams, or whatever it is that we're focused on, we're going to miss the most important thing. And we're going to be troubled and anxious. And this has nothing to do with First Peter. But it was just what I spent time in, in, in the Word this week, and I just felt it so important. Because, man, we can just do church, and we can make some lunch, and we can go hunt some eggs, or, or whatever it is, and completely miss Jesus, and completely miss Easter. My prayer is that today we will see Jesus. We will know why Easter is important. So let's pray together and ask God to open our eyes to see that, um, and then we'll we'll look in 1 Peter for a few minutes. God, I admit that I am incredibly easily distracted, and I just look around at everything around me, and then I get all frustrated and anxious, and and, um, God, I, I admit that. I admit this morning I have done that, um, and, and I know I, just, I don't want to miss you. What's the, why do this if we're just going to miss you? And so, God, my prayer for, for me and for us is that we will see you today and that the, the pressures and worries and anxieties of everything else that is always there around us will just fade away as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. You're worth it. Be honored in everything we do today. You are worth it. It's in Christ we ask. Amen. So uh, I read this quote. it's said said that man can live about 40 days without food. Um, I would not recommend trying that, but that's what they say. 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. 40 days, no food, three days, no water, eight minutes, no oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous speech, I Have a Dream, he said, if you lose hope, somehow you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be, that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. And so today, I still have a dream. If you lose hope, Somehow you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. There is a power in hope that, that can make someone come alive, right? There's a power in hope that can, that can keep you moving forward when everything around you is trying to hold you back. And today is a day, Easter is a day of hope. It's a day that I'm praying will be a new hope for some of us. It's a day that I'm praying will be a deeper hope for some of us because it is a living hope, it is not dead. It is a hope that is alive and active today. I, I think, you know, and, and we've all used hope in different meanings, right? Where we're really wishing for something. Like I'm, I'm hoping to make the PGA one day, but I've got to learn to hit a driver if that's ever going to happen. So that's just kind of wishful thinking. Um, I'm hoping that the CIA calls me one day for a secret mission, a true story. So if you have any inroads to the CIA, please just pass my name along. Um, But I'm hoping that happens one day because I just think it would be awesome. But it's really just wishful thinking, right? Like we hope for many things. We hope to get a new job or a pay raise, or we hope to meet somebody, or we hope to win the lottery and just kind of retire early, like we hope all these things. And that's, that's a wishful, that's really just I'm wishing. So we can just take that word hope and say, no, I'm wishing for this. But the biblical word for hope is a certain confidence that the best is yet to come. Right? So when, when the Bible uses the word hope, it is a confidence that, that tomorrow offers something better than today and we're confident, we're, we believe that that is still there. We're confident that, that the light, the morning will come and this darkness will end, right? It is a certain confidence, a conviction. But when we lose hope, when we lose hope that the best is yet to come, I mean, that can crush us, absolutely just wipe us out. I mean, just think about it, right? If, if you're sitting here right now and your firm conviction is that from this moment forward, everything is downhill. Like, you, depression will follow, sorrow will follow, the, the will to live will quickly be gone. If we lose hope that, that there's better, that there's something better in the future, but if we have that hope, man, you can be getting crushed left and right, but we're like, okay, th- yeah, th- this may be hard right now, but there's a better day coming, and we fix our eyes on that, and that is what compels us to keep moving. We have to have hope. So my question for you is, what is, what, are you, what is your hope in? Like, what is your conviction, your hope that, that is still to come, that is better than today? What is your, your anchor to your soul, your confidence? What is it in? And I invite you, answer that question honestly. Don't answer it for anybody else, just for you. What is your hope in? Is it in your 401k? that you'll be able to retire? Is it in a family or a relationship? Is it in the, the fact that you have a house and food and, and those, those possessions are here? Like honestly, what is your confidence and your conviction that keeps you moving forward? So what if that hope fades away? What if the stock market crashes and we lose the 401k? What if the family never comes or falls apart? What if our health falls apart? What what if the food that we have today is no longer there tomorrow? What is your hope in? Is it is it living? Is it certain? Is it firm? Is it secure? Or is your hope in something that can and will fade away at some point? Because what our hope is in is what gives us confidence and certainty. If it's in something that's going to fade away, then it's only a matter of time before so do we. If our hope is in something that's going to crumble, then when it does, so will we. I try to imagine, I try to put myself in the shoes of those first disciples, those ones who were following Jesus. What, what must it have been like when, when they saw Jesus crucified and take his last breath? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John all write that when Jesus died, it was around noon and the sun failed to give out light for a few hours. Like, can you imagine that loss of hope that even the sun is just like, I'm done. I can't even, I can't even do this anymore. These guys gave up everything to follow Jesus. Like, they gave everything to follow Jesus, and now they're watching him killed on a cross. Like, they gave, their hope was in him, and now their hope was dead. Can you imagine that feeling? Like, that that kind of frustration, feeling like you got gypped a little bit? Like, what in the world is going on here? But the good news of Easter is that Jesus isn't dead. So while their hope was lost, Jesus came back to life and brought a living hope that will never die again and that will never fade and never end. That is the good news of Easter is that today we can have a hope that is certain and secure and will never fade away. That's the message that Peter brings. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, read it with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be our God and Father is where Peter starts. He gives his introduction and then he moves right into worship God. This is an emphatic statement. The word blessed means to, to praise, to speak kindly of, to speak well of. He says, praise God, worship God. Like it's not this passive, kind of lazy, casual, like, ah, you know what? This is a this is an emotive, passionate word to worship God. Now, what makes this phrase so impressive is who he's writing to. He's not writing to a people who are comfortable and just kind of cruising in life and living the good life. He's writing to a people, it says in in verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He's writing to a people who have been exiled from their home. He's writing to a people who are being persecuted for their faith. He's writing to a people whose families are abandoning them because of their faith in Jesus. He's writing to a people who are suffering. The circumstances of life around them are hell on earth. And he's writing to them, and his first statement is, hey, worship God. Like, give him everything. Like, I'll be the first to admit, there are many times when my life is not going so great. I just don't want to worship him. I didn't even want to read my Bible this week because I was frustrated. Right? And yet, that's what Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship him, no matter the circumstances, no matter what you walked in here with, no matter what tomorrow holds, or the next week, or next month, or next year, when the bottom crashes out, and everything around you seems to crumble, worship God. How do you do that? Right? Surely I'm not the only one who has just sat there and thought, I no, I can't, how do I do this? How do you worship God when, when your family has just left you? How do you worship God when your home was taken from you? How do we worship God? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can worship God in any and every circumstance because we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that is alive today and will never die. We have a hope that, no matter the circumstances, is still living and is still moving and is still breathing and is still transforming us. We have a certainty under our feet that when the earth around us crumbles, there's a certainty in Jesus Christ that will never crumble and we can stand firm on it and we can know that His promise is true. That is how we worship God in any and every circumstance, is because we have a living hope. We're born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. So what is this, like, what what does that mean? What is this living hope? In short, the living hope that Peter points us to is that in Jesus alone, we are given new life with God and promised a secure future forever that right here in Jesus, we can have a new life, we can be born again, and we're secured a future with him forever. That is the living and certain hope that when everything else will fall apart, that will never fall apart. So why is he talking about being born again, right? Like we don't, we don't typically talk about that in in our normal everyday conversation. Is he talking about reincarnation? Is he talking about just like a, a different kind of perspective in life? Like, what does he mean, born again? Nicodemus in John chapter 3 asked Jesus the exact same question. Jesus was talking about how you have to be born again, and Nicodemus, like, time out, dude. Like, I have to re-enter my mother's womb. What do you mean, being born again? So it's an honest question. And Jesus answers, he's like, No, 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 not physically, but spiritually. That you're born again, that you have a new life with God. The greatest need for humanity, the greatest need for you and me and for every one of us and every person we know is for us to be restored into a relationship with God. That is our purpose. That is why we are here today, is to have a living real relationship with the God of this world. Not some knowledge about, not some religion, but a relationship with the Lord of this world. Augustine, he said, You have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've created us for yourself. We are created for God, and therefore our hearts will be restless when we are not living with God. When our hearts are not resting in God, we will find restlessness because that is our purpose. But that's not what's happened. From the very beginning." From the very beginning, Adam and Eve were created and they walked They walked in perfect relationship with God and then they were tempted to look after their own ways. They were tempted to take their eyes off of God and to start looking at the things around them and, and God said, hey, follow me, trust me, love me and they said, I, I, I'm gonna choose my own way. Like God, I know you said don't do this but, but it's, it's really appealing and perhaps you don't actually know and, and there's an enemy tempting them and saying, no, 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 God's deceiving you, don't trust him and they're like, okay, okay, we're gonna do our own thing. And the Bible calls that sin and it says that every one of us at some point in our life, probably every day of our lives, has chosen to do our own thing rather than to trust and follow God perfectly. And Paul says what that does is it creates death. Physical death, yes, but more so spiritual death. A separation in the relationship with God. A brokenness in our relationship with God. And so spiritually, we are dead before God. Our relationship is dead. That's what he says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Like there was no relational life between us and God because every one of us has chosen to betray him and walk away. It doesn't matter how good we are, how many days we got it right, how religious we are. At some point, we chose ourself over God. And that is called sin. Sin. And it betrays him and it's hostile against him and it separates us from God. And the greatest hope that we need is the promise that our relationship can be restored. We can be brought back to the purpose we were created for. We can find rest and peace and life in him. That is the hope we need and that is the hope that God brings us in Jesus Christ. The living hope that we have is that while we were sinners, Christ came and died for us. And that even though we were dead in our sins, God in love moved near to make us alive by the work of Jesus Christ. That is the living hope that the Bible says we can have. And so it, he says, and how does that happen? How do we become a, a, alive? We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think so often we think that we, we get this relationship based on how good we are. Like I'm a good person. I was working at our old church one time with this the ac unit guy and we were just talking about faith and and i said man like what makes you confident that that you're a christian and he said i just believe that i'm good enough for the god that i know i was like okay i like i appreciate that honesty you know? i think it's probably what a lot of people believe that god is good and loving and i'm pretty good and loving and so therefore we're a match made in heaven like we're gonna go well together But the Bible doesn't actually teach us that we're good and loving. The Bible says that we're hostile against him, that we're selfish, and that that sin has separated us and, and removed us from the presence of God. And so we need someone, something to come in and to fix what we broke, to reconcile us back to God, and that is what Jesus has done in the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, This is what matters most. He says in verse 3, I deliver to you as a first importance what I receive. What matters most? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He says, what matters most, the most important thing that we can know is that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. In his death on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself, Colossians 1. It says that we all have a record of sin against God, right? So, so whether, whether your sins are, are, you know, the list is that long and mine is this long, or whether, man, you, got, you know, God's flipping through pages of sins or whatever it is, every one of us has a record of guilt before God. We're, we're guilty. Guilty is guilty, whether it's one sin or 1,000 sins, right? You go stand before a judge, and if you've got one sin and the other person's got, you know, 10, it doesn't matter. The, the verdict is still the same, right? If it's a just judge, guilty. And so we all have a record of sin against the perfect God. And Colossians 1 or, or 2 says that our sins were nailed to the cross in Jesus, that that record of debt was nailed with him. And so in the cross of Christ, we are given forgiveness, that our sins are paid for. The punishment that is required for sin is paid for through the death of Jesus. And what blows me away is that when we repent, when we trust what Christ has done, the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more that in forgiveness, it's not just like, oh yeah, yeah, they're forgiven, but if you really mess up again, I'm gonna pull that back again and be like, hey, remember back then? Remember who you were? No, it says that God, when he forgives our sins, does not even see them. They're not in his scope of how he views us. That is amazing news. I can't even forgive myself like that. And the one I sinned against is able to do that through the death of Jesus, because the cross, the death of Jesus was enough. We don't have to suffer anymore for our sins. Jesus suffered in full. We don't have to beat ourselves up or others up because of sins. Jesus was beaten up for us. Right? Like that. That is why that first song says, Who, whoever's sins are paid, we're free. Whoever, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed because our sins are taken off of us and nailed to the cross. That's what makes Good Friday good. That's what makes it so good. Do you, rec- do, do you recognize that? That no matter how good of a person you are, before God we're sinful, and Jesus took those for us. But it's one thing just for your record of guilt to be kind of erased. H- how are we made right? Like how are we how are we made righteous with God? That's through Jesus' perfect life and His resurrection. It's through the resurrection that Jesus is alive; that our hope in Him and our future is alive. Look, here's the deal. If Jesus is still dead, let's go home, right? Like, I'm, I don't need to wake up early on Sundays. I'll sleep in. I, I don't need to spend time reading my Bible because Jesus is dead. What's the point of this book? I, I don't need to try and put on humility and consider others more significant than myself because this whole thing of Jesus is, man, it's a facade, Like, yeah, maybe make somebody nice or help someone be a good person on occasion, but but really this isn't changing my life if Jesus is dead. But he's not dead. He's alive. And if Jesus is alive, which I believe he is, you we have to do something with that. You you have to you have to answer to that fact. I mean, he has never, his body has never been discovered. We discovered a black hole for the first time recently, right? Like an actual image of a black hole in the first time of history. No one's discovered the body of Jesus. Scientists and people looking to disprove it, no one has proven or brought forward the body of Jesus. And so if Jesus is alive, we have to do something with that. And either we're going to say, he is Lord and I'm following him, or we're going to stand in our own knowledge and our own understanding and our own pride and say, man, he may be alive, but I don't care. But if he's alive, we have to do something with that. And it's in that resurrection that our hope is alive. It's in that resurrection that we know nothing is impossible. And so circumstances may be crashing in around us, but we look at Jesus and we're like, that dude rose from the dead. And if I'm with him, then anything is possible. If he can stand up over death and walk out over it victorious and and unchain all of the sins for me and of the world, then, then nothing is impossible. There is a hope that is secure and steadfast that can take us through anything. It's a living hope alive with Jesus, and it will never fade away. That's not only, that's not it. Like, that's not the only thing that we're made alive and we're given life. We're also promised in verse four an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That God himself, by his power, is guarding our salvation, is guarding our future in heaven. Like, it makes sense somewhat. It somewhat makes sense to me that, okay, if God is so good and loving and kind. Like in his mercy, he can forgive my sins and, and, and let me, like kind of let me in, but the fact that he is going to then elevate me to the same status and rights of his son Jesus baffles me that he is going to secure a new home for me that is imperishable and unfading and undefiled, that he's going to give me an inheritance, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, like that love and kindness is unmatched. Like I don't care what gifts somebody gives you for your birthday or for Christmas or for whatever reason, it doesn't match the fact that God gives us eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Like that kindness is unrivaled. And in the resurrection of Jesus, it is secured for us. That new day is coming. That new day is coming. The best is yet to come. Because Jesus is alive. It's a living hope. And he says here, it's according to his great mercy. It's according to his kindness, his kindness that he looks at us dead in our sins and still he is moved by love for us and he comes near in the person of Jesus to fix what I broke, to clean up my mess. He didn't cause it. He didn't walk away from me. I walked away from him. I betrayed him. I sinned against him and yet he's gonna come after me? I'm actively in opposition to him and he's going to move near to me? It's according to his mercy and his kindness and his love, not my good works, not that I'm worth it, but that he loves me and he makes me worthy. He gives me my value and my identity. That's an incredible, incredible love. That according to his mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. So does that then mean that in God's kindness, everybody is is born again to a living hope. Everybody is is saved. That would be universalism. And while it makes sense, I think sometimes in, in our minds, it, it doesn't make sense if God is actually a just God. If everybody, if everybody just gets gets this living hope, then it doesn't make sense because their, their sins still have to be accounted for. But the invitation is given to everyone. So th- there's a difference. The invitation is given to everyone, but it's by faith that we're made alive. It's God's grace that he moves near and he offers us eternal life and he, he does all the work on our behalf, but it's the faith that is then in us that makes us alive. It's, it's the faith that, that, that moves us to grab hold of the hands that reach down to rescue us. But it's faith. Ephesians 2 says it's, it's by grace through faith that we are saved. And so my question then, if the invitation for a living hope is given to every one of us, have you by faith received that? Have you, have you trusted that? Faith is a tricky word, right? Right? Because I think sometimes we look at faith and we're like, oh yeah, I believe in God. I know about God. I believe that it's true. But biblical faith is more than just a cognitive understanding. It's a, it's a trusting in him. Right? It's, a, it's a surrendering my life. It's a trusting my life in his hands. Right? So I, I was, have anybody seen the documentary Free Solo? And it, like it, Steph, our hands were literally sweaty watching that. Like it is so nerve-wracking that this guy is going to climb El Capitan, I don't know how many thousand feet up in the air, with nothing attached to him, like just, just his fingers and feet and like Spider-Man stickiness. So I watched this, and, and, and spoiler alert, he gets to the top, okay? So if you're like, is he going to make it? He's still alive. So he gets to the top, so I, I, I cognitively understand how rock climbing works and what he did. And I believe, yeah, that he can do that. He's done it. But, but if he comes up to me and he's like, hey man, you think I can climb this? Yeah, I, I think you can. I believe you can. I've seen it done. You want to hop on my back and let me take you up? Nope. Not a chance. But you believe me? Yeah, 100%. I saw it happen. But I don't trust you. I'm not trusting my life with you. See, there's a huge difference in believing that God is real and even believing the events of Easter and trusting your life to that and saying, that's my only hope. And I'm putting my life in the hands of Jesus to get me to the top. Not on my own works, not on my own efforts. My hope is in him alone. And so my question is, have you placed your hope in Jesus? Period. We're all gonna stand before the Lord one day, I believe. What's going to be your answer for why you should have, a, have life with him forever? If it's anything other than Jesus, I believe we're missing it. If it's, G, I believe in Jesus and I went to church, I believe in Jesus, and then we're bringing in our own efforts and we're missing the gospel. That it is only in Jesus and trusting in him your answer is because of what Jesus has done and that's my hope then the Bible says you have a living hope that will never be taken away I love the, I love the lyrics of this song because he lives old, old school hymn I remember singing it frequently growing up in church God sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my savior lives and because he lives then i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because i know he holds the future life is worth the living just because he lives It's because jesus rose from the dead that our sins are forgiven and he can offer us new and eternal life a living hope that will never let us down that changes everything that gives us hope when there's no hope anywhere else do you do you know that hope is that hope what drives you and fuels you and compels you that's the good news of easter that's what i pray we we see and we know and we don't miss with all the things going around us. It's who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. Would you would you pray with me? God, we ask you to to not let this just be a story that we've heard probably many times. God, I ask you to meet us where we are. That if we're struggling with with hope, if we're doubting and we're afraid and we're We just don't know that we will know, know, know deep down in our souls the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That because he lives, the promises you offer are true and we can hold on to them. God, I just, we're so easily distracted and pulled to the things around us and, and your invitation is just to trust you and that in you we'll find perfect peace in life and everything we're looking for is found in you. And I know the challenge God to to question that because everything else just seems so tangible and so present and so pressing. And so would you give us the faith, build our faith, help our unbelief to trust that we can rest in you we can not find life with you. A new life today, a new hope today, and a living hope that will carry us through all of eternity that we will be with you in the new heaven and the new earth and that nothing can separate us from that future as long as Jesus is alive. God, speak to us. May we not just go to church, but God, may we sit and encounter your presence because you are living. You're here. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.